Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsalay. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marsalay. Thank you for joining us again this week. We have a special episode this week. Last week for Virtual Parents Night Out, our topic was making outings meaningful for your child who is blind or partially sighted. And it was a pretty fantastic conversation between myself and my co-host today, Keisha. Hi, Keisha. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, we had a pretty great conversation about our own experience with outings, family outings, what we liked, what we didn't, what were fun activities. You shared a lot of cool stuff. Yes. Yeah, it was it was a really great conversation. And um, yeah, just trying to trying to talk about like, you know, elements of how you can make you kind of focus on other senses particularly and how like we you know your child or youth might not be able to see the experience as uh, the same as as their peers or your family or whatever but most of you like as a family can experience the multi-sensory delights of these outings absolutely So, so we thought the conversation was really fantastic and thought that it would be enjoyed by many a listener so we decided to share that recording with you for this podcast. So I hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Virtual Parents Night Out. We're talking tonight about making outings meaningful for your child who is blind or partially sighted. Tonight, I'm excited to welcome Keisha, our program coordinator, to join me for this presentation. So I thought we would start by introducing a little bit about ourselves and sort of why this is a topic that is important. So I grew up with, uh, well, I was diagnosed when I was five with retinitis pigmentosa. Um, so it's a degenerative eye condition. And so as a kid, I could see better than I can now, but I think I was already legally blind by the time I was diagnosed. So my vision was kind of like looking through a toilet paper roll. And by the time I was 18, that that toilet paper roll had closed in. <laughs> so mostly I have some peripheral light per- light perception and peripheral vision a little bit. I could see kind of like shapey type things, but not really define the shapes, like that something was there, but not really what it was. People are kind of blobs and so are poles or trees. So, you know, sometimes you get them mixed up. Um, so definitely as a kid, I missed a lot of stuff. I, I wasn't able to see the, all the whole visual picture of things. And um, yeah, just I, but I also, my family didn't really know much about how to make an activity interesting or meaningful to me. So I think there was probably a lot of activities we did that I found quite boring that could have been a lot better. So that's kind of why I think uh, I thought this was an important topic to talk about. Keisha, tell us about you. Yeah. So um, we always joke. So, okay. First of all, I'm Keisha. (laughs) I am in my early twenties and uh, I was diagnosed also with RP. We always joke that we're the RP team, retinitis pigmentosa. (laughs) Um, My case is a little bit different. I I, Well, 
slightly different. I was diagnosed when I was like probably a toddler. Um, and I lost it quite, it was quite aggressive. So, um, like, uh, you know, there's a significant change as I went through my childhood and I was a Braille user, cane user. Um, nowadays I work with my guide dog partner, but, um, basically at this point in time, I have light perception and a few bonus, you know, random things that, uh, you know, colors or whatnot, but mostly just light perception. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, so that's where I'm at in my vision journey. And, uh, I mean, with RP, it is expected to go fully at some point, but, uh, so far I still see light. So yeah, we sure see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It helps with the sleep patterns. That's true. It does. Um, so just an, just to sort of an example of kind of that came to mind when I was thinking about this presentation was um, when I was a kid, when I was about seven, I went to Disneyland for the first time. Uh, I went again when I was 14 with my family. And I went in 2020 with my family. I have a nine-year-old son. So he was six at the time. And when I went recently, like three years ago, the experience was my favorite because of the accessibility features that Disneyland has, which I'm assuming they did not have in the 80s and 90s when I went the first few times. So, you know, going to Disneyland, which is supposed to be like the happiest place on earth for kids, um, was actually kind of frustrating. It was just a lot. I remember it to be a lot of lineups. Um, Some of the rides were really scary to me. I didn't know that the animals were like anatomic animals. I thought that there was really an alligator beside the boat, which made me (laughs) terrified. (laughs) Which kind of makes the experience more exciting. Not for me. I'm kidding. I was a very scared (laughs) child of everything. Um, So, and you know, it was a lot of walking for not a lot of reward. Mm. Whereas, uh, skip ahead to to three years ago where I had this headset um, that I wore, that I had with me that I could listen to. And as I walked around, it would tell me where I was in Disneyland. Yes. Cool. You are passing such and such street and this ride and that ride. And then when you were in the lineups for the ride, some of them gave descriptions of the things you were passing as you walked through the lineup. And then when you're on the ride, it would describe. So like, it's a small world. It described everything to me. It was fantastic like so amazing yeah it even had things like where the washrooms were like this device you could you know kind of skip through and see what's around you features um you could have it talk to you as you moved like you could choose to use it when you wanted and not so and also (laughs) the best part maybe was that we got to not have to wait in the lineups because you get exit passes so you don't have to wait so the experience was phenomenally better because of these accessibility features. Now, that's not always going to be the case. Um, so Keisha and I kind of talked about, we kind of made a list of some of the things that we think you can do to make an outing more meaningful. Um, and so we're going to talk about some of the things you can do before you go, some of the things you can do when you're there, um, and and sort of all of the ins and outs. We're, we're going to share some of our favorite activities and, and maybe what makes them our favorite. So choosing the outing. Uh, I mean, sometimes you might be invited to do something where you don't have a choice. Uh, you know, if it's a birthday party that your kid's been invited to or a family reunion and you're going to do a certain thing, then obviously you don't have a choice. But when you do have a choice, um, 
there are some things that you can consider. Like, are there things that are going to, you're, that you're going to be able to access through your other senses? Are there things that you'll be able to hear, smell, touch, taste, maybe even? Um, and if, <laughs> if you if you don't know, you can even call ahead and find out what's there. But I feel like with the internet now, I don't know, do you, Keisha, do you kind of like do some research before you go somewhere? Yeah, I mean, um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. It depends on how spontaneous I'm being. But yeah, like like I was telling Sean the other day, like I will typically, if I'm, for example, going hiking, uh, like I am going hiking on a hiking trip this weekend, for example, and I'll like look ahead to be like, what is the terrain like? Um, or like, you know, kind of give myself a picture. Like I can't see the pictures of the, unless someone describes them to me, but I can like read on like all trails or something like, okay this is what I can expect so that I can kind of plan it in my head with my cane or my poles. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. When we're planning like community discovery outings at blind beginning, yeah. <laughs> you're looking for, is there going to be some things that kids will be able to touch or smell okay. or taste or yeah. Or oh, yeah. Well, now that you bring those up, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we're like fully, yeah, we're fully trying to make sure it's like a, a really like uh, rounded experience in terms of, uh, how how people kind of interpret their surroundings and stuff Mm -hmm. we were recently looking into um what is that called bubble (gasps) bubble ball yeah it's like these i don't know if you guys have heard of this it's like these kind of uh, from what i understand and what our coworker kind of explained to us too it's like these clear plastic balls um and you, you go inside them like it's like a hamster ball kind of i guess for a human and you like run around inside it so you can have like full impact play full impact sports with each other but you don't really get hurt you just kind of bounce off each other i thought that'd be pretty fun for the teens but yeah when we called they weren't really there was some resistance yeah so we'll we'll talk about yes (laughs) so another thing to do is to uh, talk to your child about the experience they're going to have so is there a show you could watch or a book you could read or some way to prepare them for you know if you're going to a farm for example so I, I feel like, I mean, I was terrified of animals as a kid. I was terrified of almost everything, honestly. And I, I blame it on not being able to see and nobody really telling me what was happening. So if there was animals and they jumped on me, that was terrifying. It still is. But <laughs> now at least yeah. I know that if we're going to a farm, an animal or a petting zoo or something like that, I, I sort of anticipate that an animal, a goat, a baby goat might jump up on me. But as a kid, I didn't know that would happen. So if it did happen, it was very, very scary. Alarming. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or even something like walking across a beach and the, the sand is squishy. And if you don't know that's going to happen, you think the world has gone to mush, right? Like why? <laughs> why did well, especially, you know, you're little and you're like, why am I sinking? Am I going to fall? Like, I, I've definitely, like, stepped off a tiny ledge, and I was like, whoa, is this going to be a big drop or a little drop? Exactly. <laughs> so if you can give a little bit of a heads up on what they might encounter when they go to wherever you're going, um, it, it won't be so scary, and it'll probably make the, the whole thing a little bit more pleasant. Um, if there are, I like little mini replicas of things. Um, it, you know, like now you have to be careful because little plastic cow does not feel anything like a real cow. Uh, but for, I don't know, things like 
um, when I travel, I will often buy a little miniature replica of a cathedral or the, the place that I've gone to so that I kind of get a sense of what the big picture would look like, obviously much bigger than what I can hold in my hand. Um, cause it, it's the sort of my version of taking a photo, but sometimes that can be helpful for preparing somebody for something like what, what does the fire, what does a uh, fire truck look like? And now we're mm -hmm. going to go check out a real fire truck, which obviously you can't get a concept of that feeling it little bits at a time. But if mm -hmm. you know what the big picture is supposed to feel like when you put it together, I don't know. Do you find that helpful, Keisha? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, for example, like for me, like going to, to big sprawling, like, you know, buildings or something like that, like it's, or big, you know, places with this pathway networks or something like it's so, it's so, it's kind of overwhelming when you're like, okay, I, I see, I can interpret this one path that I know I'm on, but I know there's a bunch more, but I have no idea like how oriented that. So even like, if you can somehow like, you know, do like a wiki stick map or something, you know, it doesn't have to be like perfect, but just kind of like, um, just something that kind of gives an idea like, hey, this is kind of like what, where we're going. Like this is, this kind of looks like the campsite we're going to, mm -hmm. um, you know, or this is, this kind of looks like the, the beach we're going to visit today. Um, that, I think that could be really helpful sometimes just to help visualize because then they can noodle around and, you know, um, maybe they'll have a better idea of how to get to the, the outhouse or maybe they'll have a better idea of like, where's the lake compared to where my campsite is or something like that. Definitely. So if you do show up or call ahead and there is resistance, um, I think it's important to remember that the people at wherever the place is don't maybe never met anybody who was blind before. They possibly have had no education and they're probably thinking about liability and I don't want anybody to get hurt. But that's really, really annoying um, as somebody who has encountered that in my life. Um, it's so disheartening to show up somewhere and find out that you're not welcome. I remember yeah. um, my family, we, we did white water river, river rafting. I don't what what is that called? Yeah, white water, yeah, white water rafting. rafting. Yeah, okay. Um, and when we got, and I was, a, I was a, an elite competitive swimmer at the time. So very, very, very strong swimmer, probably the best swimmer in my family. We were with my elderly grandpa and, you know, aunts and uncles. And I was an adult. I was like 19, 20. And when they found out I was blind, they weren't going to let me go on the boat. And in the end, we convinced them to let me, but I had to sit up front close to the, the guide, which is just like so silly. So I mean, they were concerned that if, and it's funny because if I got knocked unconscious, I wouldn't be any worse off than anybody else getting knocked unconscious. So I'm not really sure why, you know, if I fell in the water, I would be able to hear other people and I was able to swim. So I didn't really understand, but I, I mean, I knew they were concerned. They were worried about liability, but it's just the assumptions that if you're blind, you're more of a risk than somebody who isn't can be really frustrating. Keisha, you had a situation recently um, when you went bungee jumping. Do you want to talk about that? Okay, so yes, I, I went bungee jumping this summer and I did a ton of research ahead of time to like prepare myself, be like, how does the, you know, asking my friends to describe like how the bungee apparatus works, how does the harness work, you know, what is the bridge like, reading up on like the bridge, like 
height, like, um, you know, imagining a million times the job. My, my friend, my one friend who I did it with, she bugs me all the time. She's like, wow, you sure got your money's worth because I swear you went bungee jumping 50 times in your head before you even went off the bridge. And it's so, <laughs> it's so true because I was being really tactical about it and like, how's this going to go? Because I, I, I didn't want to like be completely thrown off guard. Um, anyway, so we show up to the site and I, I did I actually hadn't let them know that I was visually impaired, but we, we booked our spot and we were like, let's just do it. And it, surely it can't be like hard. Like anyone with a body can go off the bridge. <laughs> right. um, not a lot of skill like, required to fall off a bridge, right? It's really not. Like I, and, and like all sorts of, you know, well, I learned later that like people, like the, this bridge crew had, had dealt with people, like had, had worked with people of all types of, you know, ability levels. They even one guy said he'd even worked uh, with a paraplegic who bridge jumped, cool. um, which I thought was super neat. Anyway, but this is bef- okay. But before we met the really cool bridge crew, <laughs> we met the admin team who who checks you in and uh, they weigh you and they so they give you the prop bungee cords and they do all those things. And you sign the waivers and da da da. And the guy I walk in, Kane and everything, didn't bring my dog. So thought he'd have a heart attack, and. Um, and the guy looks at me and he's like, oh, you can't see. I don't know how you're going to do this. Like, I don't think you should do this. And I was like, why? And he said, well, there's a, once you jump, you have to clip a rope with a care, like to your carabiner, um, to your harness. And, uh, and I don't know if you'll be able to see the rope. And I was so scared of the jump already. I almost was like, oh, I don't know. Like, this is, I mean, that's a lot. What if I don't do it right? And my friend who is really supportive and we've done a lot of, crazy stuff together she looked at me and she's like it's not going to be any different than rock climbing like you can just you'll hear the tinkle of the rope or you'll you know see it in the corner of your eye with like because i can see light and shadow a little bit she's like just you'll figure it out like don't back down you have to do this so that's a case of like we had to advocate and be like this is how we're gonna do it like we really feel like like i can do it and here's how and just give us a chance so they he begrudgingly set us forward to the jump crew and luckily the jump crew was really really open-minded and awesome and they showed me all the parts of the apparatus and they were really great and then i jumped and it actually was exactly how my friend said she was i, I heard the tinkle and i kind of saw the rope when i grabbed it but beyond nothing it wasn't it wasn't hard at all so it's just a case of having to know how much you're capable of and to just kind of advocate and it's, it's helpful if you have someone in your corner. <laughs> oh, my hands are sweating just listening to you talk <laughs> about it. That's yeah. awesome. Um, okay, so some things you can do when you're on your outing. Um, so take a moment and close your eyes and notice what you hear or smell and explain and explain it to your child. So I, I think um, sometimes even like, getting down like crouching down to the level of your child to kind of feel and hear and you know notice what they might notice at that level because it really does change your perspective um i i weirdly did this once uh (laughs) it was encouraged to me when i was working with some younger kids like if you think about a toddler in a living room where between the couch and the coffee table is basically the height that they are it's like walking through a hallway but we would never think of it that way when we're standing up and the coffee table is you know at our knee level so 
yeah, just like interesting perspective. But what are you noticing? Are you hearing birds chirping? You could talk about that. Are you are you hearing the whir of a motor? What is, what's making that sound? Like, are there things that you can smell? You know, again, going to the farm, it's pretty stinky. It would be good to let people know it's going to be a little stinky at the farm. <laughs> so they're prepared for that. Um, don't assume your child knows what other kids know. So we typically uh, sighted folks learn 85% of what they learn. We learn incidentally by accident um, through vision. So we learn by observing. There's a lot of things no one ever had to teach you because you just figured it out by seeing other people do it, use it, whatever. So I, I like to give the example of a spoon. Um, you know, by the time you're a toddler and you're using a spoon for the first time independently, if you're sighted, you have seen that spoon or utensil being used by, you know, all the people in your family. Like you've, you've, you've seen it many, many, many times. So when it's first put in your hand, you know what you're supposed to do with it. You might not have the coordination but you know what you're supposed to do with it. Whereas a blind child might only have experienced the back of the spoon in their mouth and they don't even know that it has a handle if no one's ever put it in their hand and told them what it was. So there, there's gaps often in what we might know. And I feel like there are still gaps for me. Like there are things that people will talk about and I'll be like, I didn't know that was a thing. Well, the one that I often talk about is um, because I was afraid of animals um, and dogs. When I got a guide dog as an adult, I uh, I learned that dogs' legs bend, like that they have knees or elbows or I don't know what you call them, but like their paws can move back and forth and they're, because stuffed animal dogs have just their arm, their legs straight out. Dogs don't have arms. I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I need some help in the animal department, but you get the idea. Like, because I had never touched, I had pet a dog, like, you know, the head and the back of the dog, but I had never really explored a dog's legs because I was too afraid of a dog to get that close to do that. So, yeah, I had no idea. So, but obviously a sighted child is going to see that, oh, the dog can fold himself up and curl himself up and well, then. It's, it's, I mean, even another interesting example that Sean and I sometimes joke about is like the sighted cleaning things that we don't always take into consideration like I don't always understand why windows need to be washed so much <laughs> or like I'm like uh like they're fine uh, there's light coming through isn't there <laughs> weird, weird dirtier windows <laughs> well they're not but I just <laughs> or mirrors like yeah, the toothpaste yeah specs on the mirror apparently that's oh i didn't know that was a thing yeah you better yeah. mirror in the bathroom <laughs> or like oh i know oh, okay i know one. i recently learned how to use a squeegee because apparently the glass in the shower gets murky and people get weirded out about it so <laughs> yeah okay just things you don't notice so the example that i wrote down for if you're at a restaurant um you know your child might know that a server or waiter comes to your table uh, to take your order and bring you your food, but maybe they don't know that that person's going to all the other tables too, because their experience is just sort of, you know, what's happening to them in their in their world that's within their senses. So Keisha's very adventurous, as you heard with the bungee jumping. So I was asking her, like, how can you express your adventurous spirit? when you can't see what's around you? Like, how can people support you 
to do that. So do you want to talk about that, Keisha? Um, so yeah, I like to go hiking a lot. I was telling Sean that uh, like I'm, I'm a reasonably good hiker, but the reason why that is is because I've had to, I had a lot of sighted friends um, who are really good hikers and I have to keep up with them. And sometimes, and they're also usually very long of legs and they somehow just go so fast. Um, and I'm like, slow down, I can't breathe. Um, but anyway, so having to keep up with them sometimes makes it so that the, the hike becomes like a kind of a, like a sprint or like a jog. And I'm like, well, I want to hike. I, w- I want to get to the destination, but I also want to see what's around me. And you're seeing things. You're seeing the view. You're seeing the rocks, the roots, the trees, the birds, whatever. And um, so sometimes I have to, nowadays I stop my friends and I say, okay, like I hear a creek. I want to go check it out. So maybe I'll go take a little diversion as long as I'm not trampling through the fauna too much to go and like check it out or like maybe I want to there's a I just heard like a weird bird noise so I want to like stop for a sec like let's just listen let's locate where that bird noise is coming from and then if we if I find the tree I'm like hey hey sighted friend or family member like what does that bird look like and um or like you know I brush my arm against a big boulder while we're walking by it and it it's like a great opportunity to feel that boulder maybe even climb the boulder like there's just so many little things or like looking at even just looking at the sod on the ground like the turf whether it's roots or whether it's rocks or what is it like it's all so exciting and interesting and um and if you're just you know zooming along you don't really notice and you know you can see it if you if you can see but it's like so great to take those opportunities to just like to kind of feel like have a more sensory experience and encounter with the things that are around and even my sighted friends uh get something out of it right like because you know, we share, I might not have sight, but we all share the other senses. So, uh, for the most part. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, that can be a really great thing just to, just to kind of slow down sometimes and just let, you know, let your child or whatever have an opportunity to, to explore with their other senses and to, to really get the picture that they want to get. And sometimes like, okay, maybe you're seeing a gorgeous view and maybe you're like, oh, I really wish you could see this view, but Maybe the gorgeous view to them is the smell of the forest and the and the feeling of the of the moss, you know? Like I don't know. You know? Mm-hmm. Um less is more. So maybe spending more time at less things. So, you know, I was thinking about this as Keisha was describing the hike. Like when you're stopping to explore all the things, maybe you don't go as far. Maybe it takes longer to go the distance. Maybe it's better to go less distance, but, you know, make it more meaningful along the way. And same goes for, like, I don't know, um, anywhere where there's lots of things to feel and do, rather than spending, like, 30 seconds on each thing and being able to see all of them, maybe picking the ones that are the most different to explore you know, a little bit longer and really take the time to get to know that the bunny feels different from the kitten. I don't know why I keep coming back to the animals, but, you know, holding a bunny or petting a bunny and petting a cat uh, or a kitten, they don't feel that different. But if you actually get the time to hold each one and really explore them, you're going to get to realize that they are quite different. Consider what, what, so I talked, we talked a little bit about uh, warning in advance, but also like, Let's say you're going on a boat ride. 
um, because this happened to me as a child. My uncle had a boat. And I don't think I knew that when I stepped into the boat, it was going to be bobbing around. So that was scary. I don't know that I knew really about like when a boat's on the water that there's waves up and like, you know, if you're on a beach, you hear the waves kind of crashing against the shore sometimes, depending on what beach you're at. But if you're getting on a boat at a dock, you don't really hear those waves. So it was surprising to me that it was so rocky when the boat wasn't moving, but then when it was moving, it doesn't seem to rock, but it's really loud. So like just those kinds of things that made the boat ride scary until I understood that and then it became fun. But if I kind of knew in advance, then maybe it just would have been fun from the start because as an adult now, I think going on a boat is really fun. Uh, But yeah, as a kid, it was one of the things I was afraid of. So also, you know, if you go to like, something like a museum or an exhibit of some kind um there's often things you're not allowed to touch like usually there are things you can't touch but i have had experiences where i have been allowed to touch when if we've asked so i was in scotland i was visiting some friends of mine um they were a blind couple both of them were blind and we went to this castle museum type place in edinburgh and we got a tour and were allowed to go behind the scenes and feel all the things. And it was so cool. And I, I don't know that we would have been allowed to do that if there had been a sighted person with us actually. So that was a case of like, we want to explore your, um, your place. And, you know, if you're going to charge us money, we need to get something out of this. Like, are you, are you willing to let us touch some things? And they totally were. And it was phenomenal. Uh, another time, Blind Beginnings, actually, there was a Lego exhibit in um, in New Westminster, and they had made a replica of Columbia Street and like some of the streets in New West, all in Lego. And so we made arrangements with them to be able to go in and feel all these Lego creations of the city, which was also really, really awesome. So yeah, sometimes if you ask and explain, my child's blind, um, would it be okay if they they went behind the rope and touched the thing and sometimes they'll say yes i worked in a museum and i got to go behind the ropes but that was a whole different situation (laughs) (laughs) so some of the features that you might want to look for when considering places to go with your child um so obviously can you enjoy through multiple senses uh so we sort of like thought of things that we enjoy so keisha loves the forest and i'm like well what do you love about the forest and she's kind of described it's very multi-sensory we also talked about like background noise so quiet quieter is easier than loud (laughs) and when i think of you know like yeah Every everything I can think of that is known to be loud is just not as pleasant. It's harder to talk to the people you're with. Um, it's easier to get disoriented. It's distracting. I don't know. It's just it just makes things harder. Um, another thing I don't know that I like. I really like to go fast. I like like to know that I'm safe, but to be able to kind of get a thrill. So like. Uh, the rush of going fast and like, like a speedboat, water skiing is one of my favorite things, except my body doesn't really <laughs> love it anymore, but it used to be really fun when I was younger. I can only go once now and then I hurt too much. So I have to wait till the next year. Um, 
Keisha, do you like rides? Yeah, I, I find um, I crave adrenaline. I, cra- I like love to go fast. I love to go, you know, have that thrill seeking kind of nature. But um, I'm also really cautious because I really value, you know, one having a body that does what it needs to do. But I do really love fast rides. So, and I think the reason why is because it's like you get that thrill that I always want. Like, I, um, and you get to do it in an environment where, I mean, I'm 99% sure it's safe. Yeah. I'm not, I don't love um, roller coasters, actually. I don't like the droppy feeling of losing your stomach, but I love going fast. So, like skiing um, or tandem cycling when I trust the person on the front of the bike, <laughs> uh, going really fast down a hill that I know is safe, uh, is really, really fun. So yeah, I'm with you on the adrenaline rush there. Um, we also talked about live entertainment. So a lot of, um, theater productions now have description, which is really great. Sometimes I find that plays are pretty easy to follow even without description. A lot depends, you know, they're generally pretty high dialogue and not super action packed because you can only do so much on a stage. Um, But with audio description, it's even better. But obviously, like listening to live music or, you know, any any of that kind of entertainment is, you know, it's mostly an auditory experience. I guess if you're sighted, you might enjoy watching live music but <laughs> we were kind of laughing about that because like that just seems kind of foreign like that person's beating the drum again and again and again <laughs> so i was thinking about like some of my favorite places to go and um i went to hawaii last year and my favorite parts were the volcanic rock I went on a hike and there was this really porous rock that you could feel like the holes in the rock from the, I guess, from the water, the ocean, um, which was just very tactile, uh, being in the waves and feeling like the big waves come in and then they go back out again and they sort of drag you and the sand under your feet, which is like this really cool feeling that I've never experienced anywhere else. Um, and I also got to swim under a waterfall, which was also very, very cool. So very tactile experiences. Uh, it also smells nice there. So, you know, the, that might, I went with my family. We went whale watching. That was meh. We went scuba diving. That was not that exciting for me. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, <laughs> because I just went out in the water thinking, well, I'll just be part of things. But everybody had their face in the water, so nobody talked. So it was very quiet and very boring. <laughs> Occasionally, somebody's head would pop up and they'd be like, oh, did you see the blue and white one? That was really cool. <laughs> Anyways, um, do you want to talk about the Australia? Yes, yes. So when I was in Australia, I, I was able to visit a wildlife sanctuary. Um, and it was so cool because the, the staff um, really allowed it to be a hands-on experience. They were literally wallabies hopping around and you could feed them out of your hand. Um, granted, they did warn you to stay away from the big kangaroos because they're a little bit more uh you know of a threat <laughs> um but they were kind of shy of you too but the little wallabies i mean i could i could pet them i could touch their ears i could feel their snout their little hands um you know their their long tail and their feet and it really was a, a so neat and then the, the staff like you know allowed me to like hold a 
a carpet python and like to touch a, a koala and even a dingo in in such a way that like they were like well you know they guided you so that you don't pet their snout they're still wild animals even though they're in captivity and um i just thought like if you ever if you ever do go to australia like try to try to visit one of those wildlife sanctuaries because they like you're never gonna have an experience like where you get to pet wildlife mm. and you get to feel them and like you know like sean said it's one thing to touch a plastic toy um you get somewhat of an idea or a stuffed animal but really like it's so different than the wild creature that sounds terrifying to me <laughs> <laughs> and wait wallabies have hands like actual hands yeah like so you know those those kind of like bendy like how dogs have wrists yeah like, um I'm thinking of my dog right now with his wrists and um, wallabies kind of have like that. Like it's kind of like a T-Rex. That's the closest thing I could explain it to you. Like, because they've got the, the front paws are shorter and they're up in the air kind of. Okay. They're, they're, yeah. Up, they're upright, right? Right. And so they're little paws, you know, the little claws, little furry hands. Uh, another cool experience that I have done was caving, the Horn Lake Caves in Qualcomm. And actually, that was a Blind Beginnings family camp activity. But it's very tactile. You're climbing into these caves. We went deep down inside the cave. And the guide actually had us all turn off our headlamps. And it was pitch black, which some of the sighted folks were kind of nervous about. But for me, it was very comfortable. Um, but it was just, it's like, you're just feeling your way along and it's very, I don't know, like I, nobody could guide me in that situation and nobody, it wouldn't have been helpful to be guided. I, I, my only option was to feel my way along, which is what everybody does. And so very accessible, very tactile, really cool experience. Um, talk about Yoho. Yoho National Park. For those of you who don't know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's near Golden, BC. My friends and I went on a hiking trip there uh, a couple years ago, and I, in outside of our campground, like so, there was a bunch of hiking trails where we were going to go check out some waterfalls, and we, my friend, led me over to this display where they had a tactile like diorama, essentially, but really high quality, that showed the national park, um, and all the mountain ranges and like, um, all of the valleys and and uh jagged mountains and uh, just everything in and you could feel it which was so 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 neat because it was like yeah i mean you know people tell you about how beautiful the rockies are and you can imagine it and whatever you can you can go hike it too but like sean was saying that's parts of the whole so being able to look at the whole and being like wow those are jagged mountains they're like you know wow those, those are deep valleys like it's it's really cool and a really I just I just thought it was so neat and then of course we went for a hike after that and I got to like you know experience some of that stuff and like some pretty terrific waterfalls and um I just I just was really impressed and apparently I've heard a lot of the national parks do that now where they have the diorama yeah I I want to like create a list of places that are cool to go when you can't see <laughs> it like none of this you know go to Niagara Falls or you know whatever like I mean I've been to Niagara Falls and I just got wet it wasn't <laughs> wasn't that thrilling to me so where are the places that you can experience through your other senses that are worth you know the seven wonders of the world but for people who are blind so I feel like seeing a national park map that I can feel with textures sounds pretty pretty cool actually 
Um, and because we don't want to leave out the sense of taste, we also really enjoy anywhere where there is tasting. <laughs> Costco, food truck festivals, yeah. ice cream shops with many, many flavors. Those are oh, it was so funny. Sean was like, taste. Hmm. And then I was like, Costco. We were both like, yeah. I do love Costco. So then we kind of like veered off course a little bit, but there are, we also enjoy playing games and there are lots of accessible games, some that you can buy off the shelf accessible. And, but often you could just make a game accessible with a few adaptations. So, you know, d don't get stuck in, oh, it's print cards and I can't read them or my child can't read them or whatever. Like I've, I've just added stickers to um, connect four to the ones that are my color so that I can play with my son or um, stickers on the trouble pieces so that I know those are my pieces to move around the, the board. And, you know, generally, even when we play Monopoly, we don't use the accessible one. I just sort of, they help me by moving my piece around the board and I organize my money in a way that I know where it is. And, but there is actually Braille Monopoly too. So lots and lots of cool games. Do you have favorite games, Keisha? I mean, I'm a big fan of like, uh, of crib and, uh, and I just learned how to play poker the other day. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm a big fan of card games and they're just so infinite in their, in their capacity. That's um, cool. and also dice. I mean, big Yahtzee fan. Um, <laughs> and also I can't believe Sean didn't mention Scrabble because she'll beat anyone. That's, That's right. <laughs> I love Scrabble and I, my Scrabble game is Braille and print, so anyone can play it's, and wordle wordle is my favorite thing to do actually it's how i start every day um now keisha's a good girl and she mentioned family chores so i was thinking of like my family my grandpa has a cabin and and once a year the family goes up to chop wood and stock up the cellar because it's a wood burning stove so that would be a perfect example of don't assume that your child who is visually impaired can help with that right and it also teaches you, like, I mean, I can remember carrying wood when I was camping. We'd have to go to the wood pile and carry back armfuls of wood back to the campsite. And, you know, my dad would, like, load me up and then I'd walk back and, and like, just feeling like learning that when you chop wood, it ends up kind of in the shape that it ends up. And some of the pieces have bark and some are wet and it's kind of got slivers and that's not great. And, <laughs> but it, you're kind of, you're learning about, about a concept at the same time as being helpful. I would rather be helpful than be sat back at the campsite while everyone else goes off to make trip after trip of wood and I'm not helping at all. And then I feel kind of useless and like, I'm not part of it. So even if your kid only carries one piece and you're carrying the, you know, the majority that they're still going to feel important because they got to help. Um, so then we were also talking about um, misconceptions of the things that maybe you wouldn't think a blind person would enjoy. So sporting events, like watching a hockey <laughs> game. Yeah. Tisha, is that fun? I love going to Blazers games. I, like uh, that's the Kale's hockey team. It's yeah, okay. You're watching the game, but you're also eating a hot dog, and you're also uh, razzing your friends, and you're also you know. Um, but and there's commentators too, and and it's like just the, the feeling of the excitement of the crowd around you, um, and their their cheers or. But it's just the whole experience is is exciting. So yeah, it's not just 
if you're worried that, oh, they're not going to be able to see the game, it's not going to be good for them. I mean, it might be great still. Um, we also talked about movies. A lot of people think that I don't like movies because I can't see. And I actually love going to the movies. Again, enjoy the popcorn. <laughs> it's a lot about that. It's a lot about the concession. Oh, but um, now there's audio description at many, many, many movies. So I can get a headset that's telling me what's going on. And it's fantastic. I want to go to the movie, except that it's ridiculously expensive. But um, we were talking about audio description a little bit because Keisha was saying when she was a kid, she didn't like it. Um, yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that. So even when I was a kid, there was a lot of audio description that would like talk over the dialogue. I do remember that, actually. Uh, and um, and also like, you know, audio descriptions on even to this day, like it's it's really good. It's much better. And it's and it, it does. A, there's a really high quality job uh, with audio description these days. Part of the reason I balked at audio description was that whole thing me being a kid think like not wanting to stick out not wanting to be you know wearing headphones and having like a device on my lap even though it's actually quite sleek and it's pretty it's pretty easy to just plug your earbuds in and kind of like just have it pretty chill but like back then I just didn't want to be different I didn't like it I just kind of pushed it away but as I got older I think it was I was honestly probably like 17 or 18 when I finally accepted it and I was like yeah you know what like I want to know what's going on and now I don't even like watching shows without descriptive. Yeah, so good. Um, many you can. It's a feature you can turn on on your TV, so that anything that has audio description just automatically has it. Uh, but when you go to a movie, if it has descriptive video, it'll say DVW or no AV. I I don't know what it says, but it says something so that you know that that particular movie has it and you, and you just ask for the headset when you purchase your ticket so you can listen and see what what they're describing which is pretty great i also wanted to mention that like consider your own biases about what a blind person can do um keisha was talking about skateboarding not thinking that that was a thing i'm pretty a big believer and part of it is blind beginnings and the great influence and part of it is just you know um i i'm quite a believer in in our capabilities but i really didn't believe in my capability of skateboarding so it's just too dangerous to do as a blind person i don't think it's possible and like i had tried skateboarding a little bit as a teenager now we've been talking to these guys we you can check them out in our podcast these, these blind skateboard pros uh dan manchina and anthony ferrera and they <laughs> have like they do crazy stuff on skateboards and i it blew my mind like and so it reminded me like even even to this day i still have biases and i'm blind mm -hmm. and i have you know internalized biases about my own abilities sometimes and like you know we all hear the phrase like sometimes we are our own worst enemies in terms of holding ourselves back so i think just like checking those biases so if your child comes to you and says, Mommy, I really want to do, I don't know, some crazy cliff jumping, Roller or something, whatever, <laughs> like, and you think, oh, there's no way, you know, maybe try Googling blind rollerblader. <laughs> there's always yeah, the first person who does it. So even if there isn't anyone doing it yet, that doesn't mean it's not possible. It just requires a little thinking outside the box. Um, 
being innovative and kind of like, what would the challenge be? What would we need to accommodate? But I believe that there are, uh, I don't know. I think there are way less limits than, than there act than most people think there are. What? Um, you think they're limitless? Yeah. Something like that. Weird. <laughs> so I asked, are there any outings that are definitely worth avoiding when you can't see? And the only thing that we came up with was maybe an art museum and all like, like photos or paintings, especially I feel like, okay, yeah. if it's, if it's like things that are different, like a museum of, from, you know, the 1800s would have interesting things that you could describe to me, but a painting, one painting after another, after another, just, I don't, I think it loses something in the translation. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely not be the top of my list. All right. So that concludes our prepared notes. But if anyone has any questions or comments or want to add any. Uh, so we, I stopped the recording so that parents could have some discussion. And we did have some great discussion after our workshop. But I just want to thank you, Keisha, for joining me for that conversation. You really brought a lot of great suggestions and experiences that I'm sure parents will have found really helpful. Yeah, my pleasure. It was it was really great to be able to connect with the parents and and help um, answer some of their questions to the best of uh, my ability. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a good rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.